Hey, um, tonight I'm speaking on the end times. I thought, uh, it's my second time preaching at Rivers here, I thought I would choose a topic that's nice and easy and will go down really smoothly. Um, no, I'm not trying to be a renegade or anything like that. I'm not trying to rock the boat. I wouldn't have spoken on this topic tonight if I didn't feel God pressing it on my heart. And I want to be faithful to what I feel God is telling me. This is a topic that I, um, I'm quite passionate about. I'm really, um, I love studying the end times. And I'm not just obsessed with the end of the world or anything like that, okay? I'm not some anarchist that is just obsessed with the last day on earth or anything like that and just, want to see, just wants to see everything perish, okay? I'm not some weirdo. Um, the reason I love the end times, the passion that I have for it comes from one main thing, and that's Jesus. Okay, all these songs that we were singing tonight all focus on one thing. They focus on the glory of Jesus. And the end times is all, the, the study of the end times, at the heart of it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? So my passion for the end times is not about some, I'm trying to figure out when the last day of earth is going to be or anything like that. The passion that I have for the end times comes from a wholehearted devotion to seek out the glory of the man Jesus Christ to seek out the glory of Him and Him alone. Okay, so that's why I'm passionate about this topic, and that's why I genuinely value this topic and think that it's a valuable thing for us to devote time to. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. So the two things that I want to cover is, one, why would we want to actually study these verses? Why would we want to study the end times, the book of Revelation, and all the other books that talk about this topic? The other thing that I want to cover first is what it actually looks like to study these scriptures with a healthy perspective, okay? Because it can be easy to take these scriptures and run in the completely wrong direction, all right? To be running around as though we've got glasses on, which are the wrong prescription, okay? We need to make sure that we have clarity in what we are looking for. We have clarity in our motivation, and we have a biblical, healthy understanding of these scriptures and the way that we're studying these scriptures so that we don't get lost. All right, so the first thing I want to cover... I've mentioned a little bit already. Calculating the day or the hour that the world will end. Now, there are so many movies about this. There's an obsession about this in the world. There's all these people just trying to figure out, okay, what day is the world going to end? Firstly, I want to tell you that the Bible doesn't actually talk about the end of the world. All right? The world isn't just going to suddenly explode or anything like that. The Bible actually tells us that when Jesus returns, at the end of the age, Jesus is going to bring heaven onto earth. And he's going to reign and rule on earth and establish heaven here. Okay, so this concept of the world ending isn't necessarily a biblical one to start off with. Sometimes people also focus on the day or the hour of the end of the world or the day or the hour that Jesus is going to return. Again, this isn't a healthy or biblical thing to focus on. I don't know if you guys remember this, um, this billboard that was in Rothwell for a while. Judgment Day, 21st of May, 2011. <laughs> Um, that didn't happen, by the way, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> the most offensive thing about this poster, it just, ah, oh, the thing in the corner, the Bible guarantees it. That is like, that's heretical. That is not true at all. If anything, the Bible guarantees what you are doing right now you cannot do, all right? Matthew 24, this is a verse that people actually know quite, now, quite well. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. 
So the day and the hour that Jesus is talking about is the day and the hour of his return, the day and the hour that he's going to come back to earth. And this verse makes it quite explicit to us that we can never know, at least at the moment, until the time comes much much sooner to Jesus' return, we can't know the actual day and the hour that he's going to return. And so for us to focus on calculating this day and this hour, to figuring it out, is completely futile. It's a waste of time. It's one of those examples of the foggy glasses that we can, we can wear and walk in the wrong direction. This is not what we need to be focusing on. However, what people often neglect is that, that just prior to this verse, Jesus says this. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Okay, so Jesus is being a bit allegorical here. He's talking about this fig tree and summer is approaching. Now we know that in summer, at least the Israelites do. I don't know if you guys knew this. In summer, the fig trees start to produce the leaves. That's when the leaves come out on the branches. And that's one of the ways that you know summer is drawing near, is that these leaves will start to appear in the branches. Now Jesus is comparing that to the time of his return. He's saying when Jesus' time returns, we will know that it is nigh, that it's coming soon, because we will start to see all these events unfold. And Jesus lists a whole bunch of them in Matthew 24, and you're probably familiar with some of them. He talks about wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, which is basically just disease, famine, all these sorts of events that we can look at and know that the end is drawing near and that Jesus will soon return. So while Jesus makes it quite clear in this verse that we shouldn't be focusing on a day or an hour, I believe he also exhorts us, he encourages us so strongly to understand the time surrounding his return, to understand the season in which Jesus is going to return in order that we might be prepared and we might be ready for his coming. So a healthy biblical perspective focuses on familiarizing ourselves with the general events, understanding the time of Jesus' return and the season that is, going to, um, that is going to come with that, rather than focusing on a specific day or an hour. Another unhealthy attitude that people sometimes have, even in other um, theological arguments, is this idea of dogmatically which means um, with great conviction, staunchly arguing about a particular interpretation. So there are people who believe that the way that they're interpreting these scriptures is 100% unflawed, infallible, and everybody must believe it. And so they argue as such, trying to convince everyone to the point where they're causing arguments, causing dissensions. And, this, and the church begins to um, experience disunity around this topic. When we're studying the end times, we should be seeking to interpret it. All right. Otherwise, it can be. We otherwise we're not fully um, grasping and gleaning the the glory that we have in those scriptures if we're not trying to actually understand what they mean. That's what it means to study something is to actually read it for understanding. However, I'll be the first to admit that these scriptures are complicated. They're not easy to understand. And when we have an interpretation, we should never be dogmatic enough to suggest that that is the only possible solution and everybody else is wrong to the point that disunity arises. We can never let our interpretation of the end time scriptures cause disunity in the church. Okay, to do so would be completely counterintuitive, counterproductive, sorry. One of my good friends, Matt Toonin, a couple of years ago, we were studying... Um, the end times independently. He was doing it with a Bible study. I was watching a sermon series. And we would have these awesome conversations about it. And Matt had a different interpretation to these scriptures as I did. 
and we would discuss these things, we'd have debates, all right, light-hearted debates, not arguments or anything like that. We would talk about these things and discuss different perspectives. And during that whole season, we would encourage one another, we would sharpen one another. And although we had different interpretations of the Scripture at the time, we would actually encourage each other towards the truth rather than have any sort of disagreement or, um, sorry, not disagreement, any sort of argument or disunity between each other. It actually encouraged our friendship together. That's the sort of attitude that we need to be taking into studying the Scriptures. All right, it's one of unity in the body. So a healthy attitude in that respect is one that seeks to humbly understand the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit's guidance. One of my favorite all-time verses comes from the book of Daniel 10, 12. This is plastered on my desk at work so I can see it every day. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come I have come because of your words. This needs to be our mindset. This needs to be our heart position when we study these scriptures. One, we need to not fear. Two, we need to set our heart to understanding. We need to resolve ourselves to search out the knowledge and the glory that is in the scriptures for us to behold. And we need to humbly seek God's guidance in this. It is the Holy Spirit that clarifies the truth of the gospel. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come and reveal all truth to us. All right? We need to not seek our own understanding. You don't need a PhD or a degree or anything like that to study these scriptures. What you need is the Holy Spirit. So you need to humble yourself and ask God to reveal his understanding to us. That needs to be the mindset that you take into studying the end times. And last thing, last unhealthy attitude that I want to cover is this obsession with the end of the world. Okay, So this obsession with Armageddon, the negative events that will unfold at the end times. And I want to be honest with you, the Bible does talk about a lot of negative trends, a lot of negative events that will come out of the end times. However, the Bible also has a lot of positive trends as well. And although the end times are talked about in the Bible as, one in, as a, a time in which darkness will rise up, at the same time we're going to see incredible glory and incredible light rise up on the earth as the Holy Spirit moves in power like never before and manifests the glory of God on earth. So while darkness is going to rise, light is going to rise at the same time. And so an obsession with the negative trends, an obsession with this end of the world is completely unhealthy and completely unbalanced. As a people of God, we need to be focusing on the glory of Jesus. The end times needs to focus on the glory of Jesus and his second coming. The day that Jesus is going to come to earth and he's going to establish his reign and his rule on earth and he's going to reign in perfect peace and in perfect righteousness. The first coming focuses on the salvation that Jesus provided through the cross. And in his second coming, we get to see Jesus come back to earth and be king. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about why we would actually focus on studying the end times in the first place. So what's our motivation for this? Why would we want to study it? Why not study the Gospels instead? All right, why not just sit in John for the rest of our lives and be content with that? Number one, ironically, John's the one who wrote Revelation, so that's a funny example to use. Number one, God values it. Okay, I'm convinced for two reasons that God values the end times and studying the end times. One, because the end times has to do with Jesus and Jesus is receiving his glorious inheritance. The Bible talks about this idea of a wedding. We are Jesus' bride 
and he is the bridegroom. He is going to come back and consummate the marriage with us. We are going to be a bride and groom together on earth. And he is going to receive his inheritance. And his inheritance being our hearts and our love fully given over to him. And in addition to that, he's going to receive his inheritance, which is the nations of earth, as he rules as king over the nations. So I'm convinced that God values the end times and Jesus' second coming because at that point, Jesus gets to receive his inheritance. It says in the, in the Bible that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now the full consummation of this joy, the climax of it comes in his second coming when Jesus receives his glorious inheritance. So of course God would value this. Secondly, oh, I've got a pie graph. How cool is that? Math teacher comes out. If we look at the uh, composition of the Bible by chapters, we find that 13% of the Bible, that's 150 out of 1,189 chapters, is dedicated to the second coming of God in the end times. Okay, and that's, a, um, that's an underestimate, if anything. So 13% of the Bible is dedicated to the second coming. If we look at the Gospels in comparison, which focus primarily on Jesus' first coming, that's about 7%. Of the Bible. So almost half of the Bible is de dedicated to the second coming of Christ. Almost, almost double, sorry, almost double the amount of chapters in the Bible are focused on the second coming as compared to the first coming. Now, if we were to structure rivers and the sermon series based on this and this alone, that means that about one in every ten sermons would be on the end times. And if you think to yourself, when's the last time that you had a sermon on the end times? You probably, um, probably a while ago, hey. I'm not suggesting that we should have one in every 10 sermons on the end times, but what I am suggesting is that the pure, <laughs> the pure number of chapters in the Bible that are about the end times suggests to us that God actually values this. God gave us the scriptures for us to understand, for us to be guided by. So if 13% of these scriptures are about the end times, this is probably something that God has in his heart for us to understand. Another point, and this is particularly close to my heart as a teacher, is to equip the next generation. Jesus focuses on this idea in the Bible about this end times generation, the generation of the end, the generation that will not pass away until all these things have been completed. I'm not going to suggest to you that we're in the end times generation because I actually have no idea. All right? I have no idea when Jesus is going to come back. I'm just waiting and trying to prepare. If it's not in this generation, if I don't see Jesus return, I want to be faithful to pass on the knowledge, revelation, and understanding that God has given me to the next generation so that I can prepare them and equip them for whatever is to come, that they may stand firm in the day of tribulation and trial and persecution, whatever is to come. Jesus guarantees that persecution will come to us. I want to be as faithful as I can to prepare the next generation for this. And I believe that part of that preparation is an understanding of what Jesus' second coming is and what it's going to be about and what it's going to look like. So that's another reason why I really value the end times. A third reason is to give us an unwavering hope in times of unprecedented tribulation and persecution. So I mentioned this before. There are dark times ahead, all right? The end times is going to be a season of unprecedented, never seen before, tribulation, suffering, hardship. There is going to be great darkness. We need to be able to stand firm on the cornerstone, on Jesus. We need to be able to stand firm in his hope. Understanding the plan that Jesus has. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is still going to move in these times in great glory. 
Understanding that there is an appointed end to suffering and that God will redeem us. This gives us an unwavering hope to stand on. There are going to be so many people, and there are at the moment so many people who are saying to themselves, even Christians, I can't follow a God who would allow this. How many people do you know or have you heard saying or thinking, I can't follow a God that would allow this suffering? I can't follow a God that would allow this pain. In a time of unprecedented fear and tribulation, if we don't understand Jesus' heart of love towards us, the shepherd's heart of love that he is going to lead us through, we are going to be at risk of falling away. And 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about this great falling away of Christians. I don't want to be one of those Christians that fall away. I want to stand firm till the end. And I want to encourage you to stand firm to the end. And we need to know that Jesus has a plan, even through the midst of trials and persecution and suffering. And in this, we can have confidence in God's leadership over us, confidence that God actually has a plan. I love talking about the book of Daniel as though it's a big blueprint, because that's what I see it as. It talks about the grand scheme of the earth, all the way from the time of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, all the way up to Jesus' second coming and beyond. It's like a big master plan that God has set out for us to understand in the book of Daniel. If we understand this master plan that God has for us and God has for the earth, we can have confidence in God's leadership. We know where we're going. We know the direction that God is taking on the earth. And we can have confidence even when we see the world, what may look like it's falling apart, we know that actually God has his hand over this, that he is still in control and he will see it through to the end. And the last thing I want to talk about, or rather get one of my good friends Nick to talk about, is that having an understanding of the end times equips us in ministry. So Nick has been a missionary in Turkish Cyprus for the last year now. He's one of my good friends. I love talking about the end times with Nick. Uh, we often sit in a coffee shop or, some, or somewhere like that and we just talk about the end times and discuss it with each other. It's one of my favorite ways to study these scriptures. Nick has so much knowledge of the end time scriptures and he genuinely believes, I don't want to talk for him too much, that it actually will equip us in ministry and it does equip us in ministry. So I want to encourage Nick to come up um, and, and talk about that just briefly with us. Awesome, bro. That was cool. I'm enjoying listening to this. I, was, I didn't even want to get up. I was like, oh, no, keep going, Jordan. Um, so, yeah, it equips us in ministry. I really enjoy that first point, that God values it. Yeah. I, it's a bit of an awkward thing because this shouldn't be the motivation that uh, equips you into ministry, but it does. Like, this shouldn't be the, the thing. And, I mean, studying the end times encourages you in so many ways uh, different ways and it's such a practical thing to do like it has so many practical implications um, such as for me like Jordan was talking about it excites you in your faith and it builds your faith because of that excitement because you're seeing what God's going to do on the earth and it kind of makes everything that little bit more real which is really cool and a lot of the times um, people have studied eschatology I don't think we've used that word yet have we yeah eschatology is the study of the end times guys there you go a lot of people have studied the end times, studied eschatology, and um, they have been, what's the word here, thrusted onto the missions field because they are like captured with the imminency of the return of Christ. Um, people like Hudson Taylor, for instance, who was a pioneer missionary to China, um, he was captivated with that and 
it kind of was one of the leading factors that led him onto the field. But in saying that, I don't think that should be the thing that enables you to share the gospel. Enables probably not the right word. Motivates you to share the gospel with people. I think that we share the gospel with people because we want to be obedient to Christ. And he said, preach the gospel to all creation, and so we do it. I think there's many reasons why we should study the end times, but the number one practical one that equips you for ministry is that it prepares you. It's not that it motivates you. It's not that it builds your faith. It's that it prepares you. And being prepared, of course, is, is so important. I'm even reminded of, there's this one song from Hoodwinked, if anyone's seen Hoodwinked, where this old goat sings this song, be prepared, be prepared, it's a lesson to be shared. It's a lesson to be shared, to be prepared. And just plays the banjo on this hill. And he's a very prepared guy, and all this crazy stuff happens, and there's this part where he's, he gets thrust on this mine, mine shaft that breaks and explodes, and he has like an umbrella hat that enables him to fly, and the other guy like falls to the ground. He's like, be prepared, or whatever. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's a good thing. And I, I watched that a long time ago, and I'm like, hmm, it's a good life lesson to be prepared. And this is a practical way that you can be prepared, because uh, it's gonna, there's stuff that's going to happen that isn't happening right now. I always think about the Jews at the time of Jesus. I was reading this morning um, Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, we aren't outwitted by Satan because we are not ignorant of his designs. At the first coming of Jesus, there were so many people who were ignorant of specifically the prophetic scriptures. They weren't just ignorant in their nature. They weren't just gullible. They were ignorant of the prophetic scriptures. And because of that, they persecuted and crucified the very person that they should have been falling down on their knees and worshipping. And I think in the same way, at the second coming of Jesus, there will be so many people who will be ignorant of the prophetic scriptures and they will stumble and they will fall and they won't be prepared. And so the reason that it equips us for ministry is that it equips us to be prepared so that in that moment we are not fumbling and falling like those Jews that were ignorant but we are actually embracing the opportunity to lead others to Christ. And I, I think about John the Baptist in that. He knew the signs of the times. He knew the prophetic scriptures. And so when those things started to unfold, he wasn't like, whoa, whoa, what am I doing? And trying to catch up. He took advantage of the opportunity and he led people to salvation. And he himself was, I guess, a fulfillment of those scriptures. And so I want to be equipped. I want to be prepared. And I want the people that I disciple overseas and the churches that I plan, I want those people within those churches to be prepared. Because there's a point where I might, together, like with Cassie and I, we might shift countries or we might you know, have to come back to Australia for some reason. Those people need to be prepared on a multi-generational level for them because it might happen this generation. It could happen in 50 generations. We don't know. But every generation needs to be prepared so that like John the Baptist, they can embrace the opportunity to lead others to Christ and not be ignorant and persecute the person they're supposed to be worshipping. Awesome. So good. Thanks, Nick. Is anybody else thinking of that song from The Lion King where Scar's like, be prepared, yeah? That's what's in my head. I haven't actually seen Hoodwinked. Awesome. I want to share um, a passage from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Hope is one of the theological virtues. 
This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. We shall never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object. We must learn to want something else even more. I pray that no matter what you heard tonight, the thing that you take away most of all is that we need to want Jesus even more. And we need to want to discover the glory of Jesus even more. That needs to be our one obsession. C.S. Lewis talks about this idea of evangelism, going out into the world and saving people, not actually being disjointed from this idea of focusing on heaven and focusing on the end times. That these two things are commensurate. These two things can work together to encourage us in evangelism, to encourage the way that we share the gospel and bring other people to Christ, just like like Nick was talking about. (laughs) He looks strikingly like Jesus, might I add. (laughs) I want to leave you with this verse. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. It is our glory as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit to search out the wisdom and the glory and the understanding that God would have for us in the scriptures. It is our glory. We get to do it and we get to be excited about it. We get to partake in the understanding. It's God's glory to conceal it, but it's our glory to understand it. And I want to be faithful to understand as much of that book as I can. We are going to move into a time of communion. At the front here, we've got two stations where you guys can grab some um, grape juice and a biscuit. So just grab the biscuit and dunk it in the juice if you haven't done that before. You can come up in your own time whenever you feel led. I'm going to share this scripture. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm just going to pray. Father, that we may proclaim your death, that we may proclaim the gospel until the time that you come back on earth. Let that be our glorious obsession. What you did for us, Jesus, in that first coming, when you died on the cross for our sins, Let us never forget and let us proclaim it every day, even more than the number of times that we take communion, God. I pray that we would, for the rest of our days, seek you out more and more, Jesus. That we would seek your glory and Holy Spirit, would you enable us to receive understanding? Would you enable us to understand these scriptures that you would have for us? That we would be prepared and that we would get to enjoy the knowledge and the understanding that you have for us in your Bible, God. I pray that you would fill us with joy and excitement at this prospect. Amen.